Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and today I'm joined by reserve co-host, producer Simon, to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey Dilly, I mean, hey Simon. Yeah, g'day, g'day Nick, how's it going? <laughs> I like that you're the replacement Dilly. Are you going to talk to me about fruit as well? Uh, only if you want me to. Oh, really? Bloody don't. <laughs> um, just so you know, listeners, Dilly has uh, come down with something. She's a bit under the weather, so she uh, decided not to to join the podcast. And um, luckily, we have uh, producer Simon to fill her uh, shoes. So, uh, yeah, what's been going on with you, Simon? What's been happening in, uh, in Bonnie Old Bon? Well, mm, we had rain, which was a big deal, though we didn't have maybe quite the dramatic rain that other places had. We had thunder and lightning last night. I mean, sorry to be all ing- English and talk about the weather, but you know. You're breaking my cardinal rule about podcasting, which sorry, is, sorry, don't talk Rich. about the bloody weather, but Oops. we're doing it now. It's happening. <laughs> um, what else? What else? Oh, my wife's away for a couple of days on mm. business, so it's just me and the dog keeping each other company. And um, yeah, I... Um, I guess I've just been waiting all day to do this because, you know, it's obviously weighing heavily on my mind. Oh, yeah, and it's the highlight. Yeah, clearly. I don't know. I I think talking about the weather is, it's it's difficult because my instinct is not to because it's like the worst small talk topic. But at the same time, we've been having some pretty wild weather. Why is it the worst small, small, um, small talk topic? Because, I mean, I think, the context of the weather and climate change at the moment is actually really interesting and really important. So I would argue that, no, it's not at all boring. I think when excited weather happens, that's one thing. But I've spent a lot of my life being stuck in conversations about like, oh, it's raining. Do you know when you ask somebody, oh, like, how are you? And they go, oh, the weather's been terrible. <laughs> that's not giving me any information that is just telling me about the weather so it's kind of like in that instance i feel like it's a little bit of a it's a, a conversational cul-de-sac yeah but it's also kind of a defensive mechanism isn't it mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. you don't really want to tell you don't want to either you, either you're trying to hide something or you feel um obliged not to load your problems onto someone else so it's it's kind of easy to talk about the weather right but it, it's i mean what I teach my groups is when we're talking about British culture is something that I took from, I think it's Kate Fox who wrote Watching the English, an anthropological study of the, of the English peoples, I think it's called. And it's uh, she points out that talking about the weather is has a, a function of kind of getting to know people and understanding somebody and forming relationships. So there's like a functional reason why you would do it. And that if you say, oh, it's raining, and the other person says, uh, you say, oh, for instance, you say, um, oh, I hate it when it, it's raining. And the other person says, yeah, I hate it too. You kind of form a bond, don't you? Mm-hmm. Whereas if I go, oh, I hate it when it rains and you were to go, oh, I love it. I'd be like, well, this guy's a weirdo. Uh, so like, it kind of gives you like an instinctive understanding. So it has a function. But like you said, I think with the climate change, it's becoming maybe it's like the, the, that conversation flow is kind of reversing in that it's actually relevant because the weather's so wild and crazy mm. uh i've got an example for you as well only from the other week okay well are you going to tell me now or you know yeah yeah no, i'm going to wait until the end of the podcast no uh so so we 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 usually where we are near the mountains we get quite heavy rain and it can be quite the downpours can be quite uh, extensive quite heavy 
But what we have recently experienced is something I think has been seen in other places, uh, which is hail. And uh, there was a massive hailstorm while I was away in the UK, and we got a warning from the neighbors via sort of text. I think even one of them phoned my wife to say, oh, it's, it's been really bad damage from the hail. And we were like, how bad can it be? And when we got back, any car that had been in the street on the evening where that hail occurred has hundreds of little dents in the bodywork. Uh, lots of cars driving around where we are with the windscreens have been totally smashed up by hail. What the weirdest part is all the trees have had their leaves knocked off. So we've gone from what was sort of the end of August straight to November, almost. Like, look out the window, it looks like November. The trees are, are leafless. It looks like autumn has already happened, but it's 30 degrees outside. It's a real odd. And we drove back from the Algoy the weekend. My wife was driving and she went, <gasps> and I was like, what, what, what's going on? <laughs> She went, look at the trees. What's happened to the trees? And then she went, oh, wait, yeah, the hail. Because on either side of the motorway, there was just trees with no leaves. And it just mm -hmm. looked like, it just looked kind of devastated as if all the trees had been killed. So, yeah, it's it, it, that has definitely been a topic of conversation uh, to, to the point that the Autostadt along the way, uh, the garage along the way, has put up a big sign saying, we repair hail damage for decent prices so they've seen the opportunity to kind of advertise their services to the mm. to the people but yeah it's been it's been pretty dramatic um having to kind of fix everything afterwards we didn't have hail here what we've had is is a is a heat wave not so much this week but last week and previous to that there was quite a bit of rain and so we've been in the situation where uh, summer sort of restarted again and you can see it you can see that the trees are both losing their leaves and also um sort of fresh green buds in places as well and it's uh, yeah very confusing for the, for the the plants i think at the moment yeah i think it's it's one of those things where we're beginning to see how it's all this conversation about about the earth heating up has has really had an impact it's the first summer i felt like oh this is this is different. This is a different kind of experience. Incredibly heavy rain, the hail. Everywhere I go, certainly over the last month when it's been so hot, it's just kind of smelt like melted plastic. Mm. Like the this we've had to um we have like one of those things outside to put the cushions for the garden furniture in. Uh, you can put them in overnight. And it's it's kind of fake plastic kind of wicker effect. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. And it's it basically just melted. I've had to re re recover it because the the plastic wicker stuff it just it just disintegrated in the heat. So it just tells you, oh, like we're not ready, even design wise. You know, we're not ready. Um, the kind of materials we're using aren't great. I'm like, how long before we're all painting our roofs white and all of this stuff? Mm. Uh, it's, it seems pretty pretty darn depressing. Um, but we can't talk about weather all the time, you know. That would be that'd be fucking boring. <laughs> um, I've got a question for you, Simon. Where do you buy your cheese? Yeah, I was thinking you might ask me this question, and and you know, as far as I'm concerned, most of the time the cheese just appears in the fridge. So. <laughs> <laughs> you told us so much in that one sentence. So much information you've given us in just one sentence. <laughs> um, you know, it's not that I don't do the shopping, but my wife 
actually, I think she, she, well, I know she enjoys going to the, to the supermarket because she's, I mean, like when we go on holiday, one of the big thrills that she has is just to go into a supermarket and see what's in the supermarket in any other city, town, country, whatever. And so, um, you know, I'm obviously furiously peddling, trying to defend my, um, you know, I have other duties and responsibilities around the home. <laughs> I have other jobs. I walk the dog. <laughs> oh, exactly. Um, so, yeah, cheese just appears in the fridge. And, I mean, I suspect I'm, I suspect our taste in cheese might be, might differ quite a bit because I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a soft, creamy, brie, camembert, mm. um, and I, yeah, I just kind of like mild, plain cheeses, to be honest. Uh, th- th- those cheeses, Camembert has a place in the pantheon of, of good cheese. Uh, what I would say is I, I want something that's going to smash my face in. Uh, that's what I'm looking for. And so uh, you can imagine my my joy while I was in on holiday in, in the south of Germany when uh, every mountain I seemed to climb had a, had a fridge at the top of it. <laughs> And I'm not joking you, I had a fridge just sitting and it said uh, Bergkäse and it was like, put the money in the box, Geldenkasten or something like that, I think yeah. it said. And it basically, it was like an, the honor system in full effect. And uh, the, the, the kind of mountain farmers put Bergkäse in these fridges and you walk up, open them, look at how much the cheese costs and put money in. And so now I'm no longer buying cheese from supermarkets like some kind of pedestrian boring type i was going to say pleb but i felt that was a bit too much class uh for one statement like some ordinary scumbag buying their cheese from a supermarket counter or something i i'm going to climb mountains and buy cheese that's how i'm going to do it from now on because by god it was amazing okay well i'm i'm not offended by the implication that i'm some pleb or boring fart for going to the supermarket to buy my cheese but so i'll just let that slide but I mean, I just worry about the the efficiency of this. I mean, how often do you go to the mountains to buy or to to uplift your cheese? It would take me an hour and a half to find the nearest mountain with a fridge full of Birkeza on it. The, the nearest one that I can speak of would be about an hour and a half away. Can, can you do something for me, Nick? Can you characterize Birkeza Birkeza for me? I mean, it's not like could you describe it? So because I'm. I've heard the name thrown around, but I could not describe it to anyone else. So could you, like, what's it like? It's, to give you a sense of it, it's the closest, I think, we could find in Germany to something like sort of mature cheddar cheese. Although the consistency is different. So it's a lot more, it's not a a, a cheese that's crumbly. It's very kind of, it's, but neither is it soft. It's somewhere in between. It holds its, its shape. So you, when you cut it, it just mm. it, it isn't just disintegrating or melting, mm. but it's kind of it, it has a, a gooey element to it, which is why it's really good for melting and putting into different kinds of uh, uh, recipes. Mm. Most obviously being Kirschspätzle, which would right. the, the traditional stuff should have sort of dirty great chunk of big Kirsch in it, and um, it's just really strong. And it depends the the farmer that's made it, the milk they've used the process they've gone through but the best bird case should probably rattle your gums a little bit you should feel it like you're eating it it has a very strong smell has a very strong flavor it kind of has that acidic quality that i like about a good cheese where it feels like it kind of makes your gums a bit itchy and a little <laughs> bit like i don't know so 
so i'm really chewing this but it's delicious it's really nice but it it just comes in a lot of different varieties like uh you'd expect in a place as sort of diverse and and interesting as the alps and and it's cow's milk i don't i get but yeah i'm assuming so but i'm wondering i I guess i'm not sure if you can put it through the the processes and required to make bird kaiser probably wouldn't work for for kind of goat's cheese or something Mm. Uh, although there's a lot of goats knocking about too, obviously. Yeah, I think it's it's mostly cows. Like all you, everything you see, I saw while I was away was orientated towards feeding and sustaining herds of cows. So one of the reasons you see such beautiful, lush kind of grassland and everything around the Alps is because they let all, let all the grass grow and then they cut it and then that's the the feed for the, the the cows so it's not so much that the cows are grazing on that area it's that there's some fields where they graze and there's some fields where you they're just you're going to use that grass at a later date right so it's an entire economy orientated towards ra- raising herds of cows and then you get up to the mountains and you find herds of cows knocking about with the cowbells on uh, which i mean it's, that's really lovely it's a really lovely sound walking through the mountains and seeing, seeing well, the cows as a new zealander one of the biggest things that we notice here is the lack of fencing the comparative lack of fencing so like in new zealand you know there's always a fence beside the road basically this everything is fenced 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 all the, the the fields are fenced what do you encounter in those mountainous areas are things fenced or are they just sort of roaming freely with their cowbells nah, lots lots of uh, electric fences like loads oh, okay. of them everywhere it's almost to the detriment of your enjoyment like you want to sit especially because we've had my daughter with us and and she she's free roaming so uh, <laughs> just get a bell <laughs> yeah just get, that's under considering it um but she uh was lots of places where you would want to sit in the shade there wasn't a lot of shade on the top of the mountain and then you like sit down and you're like oh i can hear the electric fence mm. and i don't really want to be sat that close to it with a child who at any moment might just do the opposite of what you tell them don't grab that fence bzz, and then sort of yeah but just you let them that. do it once and that'll learn them you know they won't do it again it's my instinct, but my wife has a very different opinion about raising children. I'm kind of the opinion it's not going to hurt them, really, you know. It's- just back of the hand, just a little tickle, no worries. <laughs> that way they won't grab, right? Why are you getting a divorce, Nick? I listened to producer Simon. Uh, <laughs> he, he did for me. Um, no, so there is, a, and I think as well, the logic of it makes sense. There's a lot of, the cows seem to deal with steep areas quite well, but they're also prone to, uh, do stupid things like fall off the top of mountains and i'm sure one of those cows is worth more than a the average family car so uh, i think they, they they look after them as well as they can you also get these these events where they they herd the the cows down from the mountains and they're the big village events it's something that my wife uh wanted to to see is them uh leading the cows down from certain fields but definitely down from the mountains and it's they have these big festivals where they dress the cows up, and uh, they they kind of have these these the the I think it's um is it Alm Abtrib I think it's called. Just um asking for a friend, what do they put these cows in, and what what do they look like, and do they do it for sheep as well? <laughs> put them in spandex. No, <laughs> they're just like they give them like flowery garlands, and they're quite. You could look it up if you look up the sort of Alm Abtrib. Oh, you'll, you'll I'm not see sure. 
I don't think I want to corrupt my uh, internet search history with that. <laughs> it's not. It's not really nice. Uh, some, and that makes little maybe half like kind of like a, a choke or something that's highly decorated. But they, they, they turn them into these these big these big events. And it, and it is it, it, like mountain life. Mountain Germany is just a different type of Germany. Um, as far as I, I, I'm, I'm concerned, it does feel the vibes very different. But um, it's just another one of those kind of nice cultural things. But because they are popular and it's a little bit different and interesting, you'd, we'd be lumped together with all the other city types turning up with our cameras to take photographs and f post them on Twitter or whatever, as as our won't. And um, uh, there is a definite shunning of the tourists in the mountains. There's an accept acceptance that the tourists are required, but at the same time, not a massive desire to indulge their uh, fancies too much. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's, I mean, it's something worth seeing and it's certainly something worth looking up, but, um, we haven't yet gone to one of these events. Did, um, when, when you were driving to the mountain, did you encounter any cattle mm -hmm. on the, on the road? There was a few times where we had to stop because the farmers were transferring a herd of cows from one field to another. That's quite common. And there was an, I think it was actually last year when we were coming back, we were held up in a, a traffic because there was a farmer leading his cows again from one field to another, but he had to walk them down the road to get to the field. And so there was just a fast herd of cows in front of us. And it was what uh, we were what, at the front of the queue. So we got a full like view of it. There's a lot of very angry people like upset about it, like trying to overtake the cows <sighs> and farmers just going, no, like. Like basically just stand in front of the car and go and get a grip, mate. You're gonna have to wait in this queue while these cows move. This is our this is our job and this is what we do and get out of the way. And it's kind of like when you get stuck behind a tractor in a, in the middle of nowhere. Like you're on their roads, right? <laughs> it's not it's not um, they're not inconveniencing you. You're inconveniencing them. Yeah. So you just accept it. But it it, it it's just it, it's it's a nice difference. It's a nice thing to see a little bit of a touristy moment. Sure. But like I said, we haven't had a chance to see the full, the full shebang. Just, <laughs> just, we just saw a farmer in lederhosen, a string vest and one of those traditional mountain hats oh, yeah. and a really big stick just directing his cows. And I was like, well, that's, that's almost as good as like flower garlands, right? <laughs> it's like some sweaty farmer and his beer belly, but it's, yeah, it was, it was certainly something to see. Yeah, so we, we got back from the mountains last week. That was exciting. I'm trying to settle back in, and we've had to settle in pretty fast because my daughter's first day in the kindergarten was today. And so my daughter and I hopped off around the corner to her new uh, kindergarten, and uh, it was very cats in the cradle. <laughs> it's like tear in the eye and going like, oh, they're growing up. That's how it felt. Um, realizing I can't solve all my daughter's communication problems, knowing, learning to step back and not kind of push her in, uh, interacting with kids. Uh, but it was a weird experience. It's obviously the first time I've done anything like it. I just, we were only there for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And I had to sort of sit off to the side. And if she needed support, she'd come and see me. Uh, that was the, the, the sort of deal. Uh, they've got five new kids and she's the second one to be introduced into this group of, of kindergarten kids. And uh, yeah, I'm going to do that for the next few days. And then next week, 
I think I get moved to a different room. And oh, then okay. if that's fine, I can just go go home. Oh, um, okay. So they do it in stages. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Again, it's one of those opportunities where, um, it's something we talk about off mic a lot, where we don't always get a chance to speak a lot of German, uh, especially due to my job, of, as I've spoken about. But um, I think it's the same for a lot of people who don't work in a German language environment and have multiple languages in the home. I don't speak a lot of German. So this was an opportunity to speak some German, interact with the other teachers. You get that nice feeling when you just don't fuck it up or it doesn't feel like you fucked it up too much. Like you've communicated, people understood you, you had a conversation, it was fine. Bits I didn't understand, of course. Things I, I, I didn't quite follow, but was able to nod my way through. <laughs> Go, oh yeah, yeah. And look like I knew what I was talking about. Just um, listen out for the next noun that you, that you recognize, right? <laughs> exactly that. But the good thing with it being kindergarten teachers, I think kindergarten teachers get into, I think teachers in general get into this way. The, like the reason I speak a lot on the podcast is because my job is essentially speaking. I, I'm a lecturer, so trying to shut me up is the fucking hardest thing in the world, as you and Dilly and the listeners all know. But for kindergarten teachers, they get into this kindergarten voice. So it's all very sort of friendly and all the tones are kind of light and, oh, would you... Uh, Mr. Houghton, how is your wife? And he's so very nice and slow. And I'm like, I heard all the words there. I understood everything. That's great. Um, so like, it, it, it's easy in that respect. There isn't any fast talking kind of people. But yeah, it was it, that was nice. But it is that thing of like, you get in front row seats to your, your child taking their first steps into a world where you're not going to be able to help them. Mm. they're going to have to learn some stuff themselves and it's hard not to i don't know i find i find it very hard not to kind of get involved i mean i mean did you did you do kindergarten when did when did you start school i guess yeah we did like preschool i guess it was nursery i think we called it mm. and i did that from i guess from about the same age as, as my daughter so about three years old onwards all day I don't really remember it. I don't remember it that much. I remember flashes of it. I do remember feeling like it was a prison and I'm not having fun and not enjoying it. Wow, interesting. And not liking the, not liking the teachers particularly. Perhaps that's natural, but it felt like the kindergarten was much more sedate, much more relaxed, much more sort of friendly. They did this really interesting thing as well where they were choosing what game to play before lunch and everyone got everyone got to choose a colorful stone and they had three options on the floor three games they could play and each kid went and chose put a stone next to the game they wanted to play and then the one with the most stones was the game they played and i said like, oh, like you're sort of seeing it through those eyes as a maybe as an educator but also as a parent you like, know oh right that's a really it's a really simple lesson you're teaching there but it's really effective and even stuff like they did the day, the day and the week and all of these little things. And you're like, of course, that's the stuff that you're learning the days. And like my, my daughter's numbers are really good. She can count to 20 in German, 20 in English, but she doesn't actually recognize the numbers. Mm. And so that was like, oh, right, that's great. That's really reinforcing it. Um, and so it's all very, it just felt very secure and safe and, and, and sort of nice. Far too much um, frozen 
um, references and far too many Frozen kind of um, Disney's Frozen kind of uh, accoutrement on the kids. And I was like, God, is that what I've, she's going to come back and be asking for Elsa shoes or some shit like that. It's very difficult to, to push against that. Mm. I mean, this is what you'll discover. I think I, I, I had enough mic discussion with Dilly about it. You know, you, you think that you want to control your kids and their taste and their interest and everything, but at some point you've got to, got to realize it's about them. It's actually not about you. I mean, there was a bit where she shouted, purely Butler, and like stormed into a load of kids. And I was like, yep, yep, that I've done my job. She's shouting Geordie phrases at these bemused children. But um, uh, you also, it's your first chance to see other kids in that environment and sort of the comparison to your child. Like, so like the speech development and all of those things and, sh and, and, you kind of we know that her speech is really good and it, it was she was one of the she even was speaking on a first day which i was surprised by and there's some kids who didn't and some kids who are shy and some kids who are and so you're sort of seeing all these different personalities in the room interacting together and kind of going oh is that something that my daughter does or is that something that that she, i've never seen that before and so it, it was just that kind of feeling of comparison as well and i think um it reassured me a little bit that we've been doing things the right way. I mean, that's I mean, that's what do we do as humans. We we don't measure things; we compare things. And like you say, that's that's a it's kind of a big step for us as parents that it's the first opportunity. Maybe that she may have had some interaction from the broader family and things like that. But here, suddenly, she's confronting, or at least in your eyes, she's she's in an environment of of dealing with kids that she hasn't known before, and you're kind of interested to see how she is compared to them. I mean, it's it's just natural. You, you can't stop it. But I think you also, don't you have to work at it to, to try and not let it show as well that, that you, you know, you've got to look relaxed and feel relaxed and appear to be relaxed because you don't want that apprehension to, if you have any apprehension to, to, to transmit to her. What I was doing is just being really enthusiastic about everything that they were asking her to do. And like, oh, this is, oh, wow, this is where you get to hang your coat up. Oh, that's great. Oh, look, you got a little thing for your shoes. Like being really sort of enthused by it and not trying to make it feel like it's a, a chore or a negative. And she was shy, of course, but I think she took it in stride. And we'll, we'll go again tomorrow and we'll do for the next few, few, few days. And um, I, th I think, I think by the middle of next week, I probably won't even need to be there. There was a point where I looked, I looked, I was looking for her. And, I, and they'd all gone off to, to have uh, broadside. And I said to the teacher, I was like, where's my daughter? And the teacher was like, oh, she's already gone out with all the kids. And I was like, whoa, that's wild. Like she's already sort of off. And she like, the, uh, the teacher asked them to get chairs and she got a chair herself. And I was like, oh, right, this is great. You know, and I also think it helps that certainly with the arrival of my son, she's way more competitive. <laughs> and, and like, so one of the things was she was, we've been, oh, been hell on trying to get her to use the toilet, right? And the, the clincher was her younger cousin used the toilet. And from the moment she saw him do it, she's been using the toilet ever since that's two weeks ago. And I was like, oh, right. And you saw today, she saw other kids doing stuff and was like, oh, well, if they're doing it, well, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it better, you know? And, and so sort of like, I, I thought, well, that's actually a really useful trait to have, even if competitiveness isn't always great, but it's a great 
accelerator of education mm. if it's just looking around going oh well they're, they're, well, they're, put, they're putting their hands up well I'm going to put my hand up you know or they're tying their shoelaces I'm going to tie my shoelaces I'll show them mm. I'm like yeah fight the power kiddo <laughs> Sundays are usually quite sedate around my neck of the woods, which is one of the nicer benefits of having rules about noise. But the quiet calm of my street was abruptly broken by my neighbours as they celebrated an historic victory for Germany in the Basketball Weltmeisterschaft, or World Cup. I may not be a massive basketball fan, but even I have to admit, this was somewhat unexpected. The last major tournament victory for the German basketball uh, national team came 30 years ago in the European Championships. Uh, which was incidentally also held in Germany. So yeah, uh, Germany has some new world champions. I'm going to regret asking this, producer Simon, but by any chance, do you happen to like basketball? I'm not a big basketball <laughs> fan, sorry to say. I... <laughs> that sigh told me everything I needed to know. I guess I have to respect it, but I was trying to, I was thinking, how do I answer this question? Because... I can see that a lot of it's clearly a very popular game, and and that's the thing is it's incredibly popular in many places. You know, I mean, you just look at who the the, the semi finalists were in the World Cup. I mean, it's it's played by a lot of countries to a high degree. It's not just the NBA, right? Um, but yeah, I just I think I decided a long long time ago that I wasn't particularly good at it myself and. I didn't have the bandwidth to to devote any time or interest to it, so I, I sort of haven't. Yeah, it's not it's not a sport that's massive in the UK. I, I know, like my nephew plays it, but I don't think they'll continue to play it now that sort of rugby and football have become bigger kind of uh, attractions to their attention. But it was it's one of those things that I was I was kind of surprised to discover was such a massive thing in Europe, but um, it's certainly a massive thing in Germany. I, I personally prefer netball, not necessarily to to watch, but to play. I really like the three-second rule in netball, which is that you can only hold the ball for three seconds, and then you have to move it on. So it's actually a really fun game to play. No, I get I get that. I think I think what, what British people especially dismiss about basketball is its speed, and it seems almost pointless. The, the, you got, it's like one at one. The, 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 the one side gets the ball and they score, and the other side gets the ball and they score. And it's like, well, if you score first, you'll win the game, right? Because it's just like, and that's kind of the feeling you get even when you play video games. But when you actually watch basketball, there's, it's a lot more strategic. The you realize the difference between the kind of best basketball players and the worst basketball players, or best basketball teams and worst basketball teams, is the ability to turn over the ball to kind of prevent uh, um, the the other side from scoring. The defensive element is a really big part. And it's, again, no surprise that you've got someone like uh, Michael Jordan's the best player in the world, not just because he was great at scoring um, uh, uh, or, or like slam dunks or whatever, or, or flying through the air like some kind of superhero. It was the defensive game that he was also really famous for. He's good at both sides of this game, and that was what made him such an amazing player. And I think you saw that with the Germany team in that it was their sort of defensive solidity that really got them where they needed to go because Germany's run to the final saw them not only defeat Serbia in the final, but also this really highly favoured USA team in this really epic semi-final 
which the the, the Germans won uh, 111 to 113. Really quite high scoring game. I mean, it's not the highest score that I'm sure this is NBA scores are ridiculous. And I think one of the things was a lot of people assume, oh, well, the USA team probably doesn't have its main stars. And it doesn't. I mean, LeBron James wasn't playing, you know, like the the sort of the, the big stars weren't in the team. They, they didn't have any, I think, players from the NBA team of the year, or I forget they've got a particular term for it in the NBA, but they still had some very, very good players in that team. And yet the Germans were able to win through mostly their defensive um, skills. Uh, the Germans then went on to overcome this really strong Serbia team, 83-77, to win gold in, in Passe. I think it's Passe is the name. Uh, it's just outside Midlila. God, You know... Passai, maybe? Uh, might be Passai. I'm quite it's embarrassed about this because I actually, having lived in Manila for three and a half years, I should be able to tell you how to say that. And I, I can't I think remember. It's I think the Y's an I sound. Um, yeah. Let's move yeah. on quickly. <laughs> yeah, quickly, before anyone notices our un- um, terrible geographical knowledge. Uh, Germany's captain, Dennis Schroeder, played the game of his career uh, at the weekend on Sunday and was uh, he was duly rewarded for his efforts and he became the tournament MVP and actually watching him in the final you totally understood why he he was really good and like, even I someone who's like a, a kind of basic basketball um, watcher just the drive the determination he represented everything that was good about the Germany team and he's only the second German to be awarded the honour of tournament MVP after NBA Hall of Famer Dirk Nowitzki, who's been mentioned a number of times on this podcast, I think. I think he was a big, Simon was a big fan of his uh, back in the day. One of the things you were mentioning before is the popularity of, of basketball in Europe. And it's something that I had absolutely no idea about until I met actual Europeans in university. And it, it really gave me an insight into my own sort of British ethnocentric thinking. In that, like, well, this is a sport that's not popular in the UK. It's therefore not popular anywhere but the USA. And then I remember my friend telling me about going to see Bayern Munich. And I was like, oh, yeah, Bayern Munich, you know, like Thomas Muller. And he's like, no, no, Bayern Munich, the basketball team. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, they were playing Barcelona in the uh, in the semifinal of the Champions League or something. And I was like, there's a Champions League? <laughs> I didn't understand any of this. Like, Barcelona has a good basketball team. And it's a Barcelona branded, as the football team is, with the colours Bayern Munich branded. It's part of this larger sports kind of uh, empire that they, these teams have created. And realising, oh, these sports, these what I thought were just football teams also extend to other areas and other sports beyond that. And that all the all the kids who did Erasmus, all of them were fans of basketball as well as football. It totally blew my mind because it is just massive. The German basketball league's very big here too. Um, I, I wonder is it a is it a climate thing as well? In that you know, in the winter time, if you're going to play a sport, it basically has to be an indoor sport, and that's mm. maybe not quite as extreme in the UK because you know how the, mm. the UK climate is a little more mild. But in mm-hmm. the north of northern states of the US and certainly in Central Europe and Northern Europe. I mean, it's it's the indoor sports that dominate, unless you're doing full on alpine sort of, you know, mm. ski type sports in the um outside. But, you know, you're not playing football and stuff in the middle of winter in, in Finland and Norway and Sweden and mm. places like that, are you? No, I think that's that's a reasonable um sort of assessment of the situation. I I don't know as well, like the like rugby and football take over most of sport education 
those are the two sports that and cricket were the sports that we played mm. with regularity basketball was kind of like a oh it's raining let's play basketball right but even if it was pissing down rain we'd rather play football and rugby than play basketball like it was always a disappointing kind of thing to happen i i wonder is there and i'm going to go out on a limb here which is really dangerous and and thank goodness i'm the one who's going to edit this because i might cut it out but I wonder also, like I think about the New Zealand context where um, basketball is quite popular with certain elements of society, should we say. And I wonder sometimes if that's a bit of a, a pushback, a rebellion against the maybe dominance, the dominant culture's historical ties with rugby and cricket, not so much football, a, a little bit like the way in the UK there's a sort of a class distinction between rugby and, and football, isn't there? And I just wonder if in places like New Zealand, there is a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a class distinction, but because maybe that's a problematic term to use, but but let's just say that that maybe if you're not from the dominant culture, which is associated with rugby in New Zealand, then maybe you don't want to associate yourself with rugby and therefore you will associate yourself with something else. And we all know how dominant US culture is and, and you know, everyone knows about the NBA and how popular that is. I, I'm sure someone who's more thoughtful about this could could comment and, 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 and I should probably stop there. But, but I just wonder about that a little bit. And, and is that, that may not be the, the experience in, in Europe, but but I have a suspicion it might be the case in New Zealand where the Polynesian community and mm -hmm. the, the broader Polynesian community seem to have embraced basketball in a big way. Um, I think my friends who, my French friends who came from Paris had all played like street basketball. They played on sort of street courts because there's a lot of like municipal courts, you know, like you see that still in Germany. There's like cage, football cages and basketball cages and stuff in parks. So the space to play it, I think, first and foremost. Or, or the fact there's a lack of space to put a, a football field in. So you can, you've got a much smaller playing area and, and that sort of suits the urban environment, yeah? Well, well I, I think uh, you, a term that, there's a term that I often hear. Uh, was, was, I heard that was only ever really referenced to American sport and it was like, um, oh, that, that guy's a baller, right? And it comes from, as far as I'm aware, it comes from basketball, but they use it for American football as well. And now they use it for, for soccer, for football. In the UK, they talk about, oh, he's a real baller. And, it, and it's that kind of, that linguistic connection tells you something about the kind of, the sort of style of football almost. Because certainly if you look at the English football team as an example, a lot of them are coming from areas like South London. There's a look at the England team, vast amount of them are from South London or came through uh, football clubs in South London where they have a lot of these sort of cage five-a-side yeah. things, which were, is kind of what you'd see with uh, basketball. And I think there's, there's, the kind of, there's a kind of urban sort of sport you can play anywhere, anytime, but also there's these spaces to play them. It ties into the, the desire of young, young people to not, be seen by adults or to have their own spaces. I think there's that element, but I do know like a lot of the guys, in fact, every single person that I went to university with who was on Erasmus, who was a basketball fan, lived in Europe or came from a European country. Every single one of them loved hip hop. Every single one of them loved the, the kind of style of the, the kind of the, the uniforms and, and they would have the Lakers and they'd have 
that was always the big one was the Lagers. And and you'd have people who liked certain rappers who liked certain teams and they'd have their kits and stuff like that. Like somebody who had like an Orlando magic top or something like that. And I'm like, well, why do you have that? That's a really curious one to have chosen. And it's not one of the big ones, not the Bulls or something. And I'm like, oh, like, because the rapper that I like likes this. And and so there was that sort of connection to, to kind of um, uh, hip hop and basketball and kind of these street spaces and and all of these things kind of tie together and so i think it was that that draw but it wasn't it wasn't a wholly kind of a wholly racial thing in any way shape or form but there was a lot of the the kind of white boys that i knew who played basketball who liked hip-hop that was their kind of that was their style and i think there is an element to that where it is potentially in europe an anti not necessarily anti but it's like if you don't like football here's another thing, you know, mm. here's another sport for you. If you don't like winter sports, which are predominantly sports for the upper middle class, really. Because they're expensive, many, right? Exactly. I mean, how many how many sort of people from coming from poverty have, have become World Cup winning kind of um, downhill uh, slalom skiers, you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's again, it's access, it's ability. You get a basketball, you can play a basketball, you get a hoop you can sort of do these things and so there is like an element of, of class and, and and culture in mm. there but um i just I, I i it could be that it could just be that rugby doesn't dominate cricket doesn't dominate there's always going to be other outlets for sport tennis is a big thing here as well and in a way that it i, I didn't feel like was in in newcastle tennis wasn't a big sport and, and flip it around you could go to scotland and play golf in pretty much any space and in Germany, golf's restricted. So you have those kind of different cultures of sport as well um, that restrict certain things and flows of diff of, of interest. T tell me about it. I mean, golf is such a, a status symbol in, in Asia, where I obviously lived for a long mm -hmm. time. And I, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's yeah, amazing. And and you have to have a lot of money to play golf in in places like yeah. Singapore. It's you know, it's it's a very prestigious pastime, shall we say? Yeah, and and you need a lot of money here because you need a freaking license to play golf. So it's yeah. Whereas in New Zealand, I remember as a kid when we were sixteen, seventeen, last couple of years at school, Wednesday afternoons we we did some sort of recreational sporting thing, and um, for one six week period we went off and played golf at the the local golf club because it was cost us nothing and. Just the idea of spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to play golf in, in Singapore or yeah. just go to New Zealand and don't pay anything, more or less. It, it just seemed obscene to me. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there is that. Um, it, it, it is interesting seeing w w what sports become, have have sort of dominance over. Like the, the Serbian national team is a good example. Like I would never have said off the top of my head, oh, Serbia is this fantastic basketball nation. But it bloody is. Produced some of the best, some of the best players in Europe come from from Serbia. But you just wouldn't think it outside of Britain. You just wouldn't even have that comprehension. About and, and the other one that occurs to me also is Spain. I mean, I think the Spanish mm. um, basketball players are, are pretty awesome as well. And it's like, oh, okay, is there anything they're not good at? <laughs> Stop being so good at all the sports. <laughs> yeah. Give us a chance. Yeah, I mean, there was they were talking about the sort of culture of, of basketball. One thing that sort I did enjoy was was the um, the fact that the twelve thousand plus crowd that watched the the German team raise the World Cup were actually seated in an arena that was inside a giant shopping mall, 
And I was like, well, you can't get any more American than that, can you? Uh, the Mall of Asia Arena is in, in, inside, unsurprisingly, the Mall of Asia. And it's the fifth largest mall in the world. Yeah, and I was just like, yeah, <laughs> that's, you're, really, you're really buying into it now. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's a big place. I remember going to see, I've seen, uh, there's a, you know, IMAX theater there. I've, I've seen a number of films in the Mall of Asia and the IMAX theater there. It's, yeah, it's big. It's big in a way that the German malls don't, they really don't exist in that way at all. No, not at all. It, it, it's some, something else for sure. I think the other thing was that I like, like I hate football stadiums that have like Allianz Arena. Oh God. Like, I hate the, the Etihad, you know, like the, the, the name of a stadium that's been kind of co-opted by some shitty sponsorship because the it doesn't feel like there's a lot of culture there whereas the flip side in the u.s i kind of like it where they have these like the i don't know the best buy arena <laughs> like it's like it's so ridiculous the walmart arena or like these ridiculous names that are so super branded but it's always been like that and so i kind of liked it that the mall of asia arena was the place that they won this 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 title but but I've always wondered about the Mall of Asia. Was it because you know Asia is a big place and there are a lot of cities in in Asia? And it's sort of like, what was their claim to call their mall the Mall of Asia? I mean, it sort of was giving the finger to everyone else, you know. It's the Mall of America as well, isn't it? It's like, this is the Mall of America. <laughs> Which one? There's lots of them. But uh, like, it, it, there's a certain there's a certain American gusto that I kind of enjoy, and that I don't think you would get that in Britain. There would be you'd never get the Mall of Britain. It would be like. That would just be rejected. We had um, the largest, the largest mall in Europe at one time was the Metro Center, which is just outside of Newcastle. It's a fucking sad state of affairs at the moment. Like going into it, it's basically like it's just there's no one, there's no one there. It's a ghost mm-hmm. home, and the, the shops have, have sort of closed. And it's it's the state of affairs across a lot of places that have these giant shopping centers that are destroyed by Amazon. Uh, but you would, they, they didn't call it the Mall of Britain or the Mall of England, it was the metro center because you could get to it on a, you know, you couldn't even get it on uh, to it by via metro. You had to get a bus, but that was that was what it was called. It was this massive, ridiculous kind of mall that, that was falling apart now. I just, it, it, it's there's something so grandiose about it that I, I do enjoy. It speaks to this kind of where where the sport originated in the U.S. Um, yeah, one point that Dennis uh, Schroeder, the captain, the German team emphasized after the German victory was the lack of respect meted out to German basketball. And uh, this kind of feels a little bit churlish, perhaps, for him to say something in this moment of victory to complain about a lack of respect. But it was actually probably a fair reaction because just before the game ended, this momentous moment in German basketball history was it was sort of interrupted or co-opted by the breaking news that came out of the German men's football team as Germany's men uh, men's basketball team edged towards victory the DFB announced on behalf of the German fo- men's national football team that they were sacking their trainer Hansi Flick following a 4-1 friendly defeat to Japan uh, great timing there from the DFB it begs the question right is um that's basically Germany, right? You've got a little bit of joy, carefully rationed, and then instantly replaced by some permanent bad news. That's kind of the German condition, right? Enjoy this for a second. Here's all the shit. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been a bit more subtle about it, do you not think so? Yeah, I mean, 
Absolutely. I mean, it, it was pretty ignorant timing. But then from what I understand, the media didn't help the situation either. You know, the, the media could have put that on the back burner or slowed it down and, and really made a lot mm. more of the of the, the basketball team's uh, success. So insensitive by the DFB, for sure, but also equally insensitive by the, the media, I think, as well. Yeah, I think they jumped on that a little bit quickly. I was thinking, though, when was the last time joy and disaster had followed you so closely? And I, I had a thought and I was like, I gave like a couple of semesters ago, I gave the best lecture of my entire career. I was really happy with it. Left, got back to my office, suddenly realized that my fly had been open the whole time. And I was like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> success has been ta- dampened by my uh, sort of terrible uh, um, ability to check whether I'm, I'm got my fly down um yeah it wasn't it wasn't great it wasn't a great moment for me but it did feel it felt it kind of felt like that to me this moment where you've got this this really great thing that's happening and then suddenly you've got this what is frankly ridiculous news i mean it's rare that you get football managers being sacked due to a friendly defeat but hansi flick has been has been pretty awful as as coaches of national football teams go. Yeah, I mean, expectations are always high for Germany and things have been going pretty badly. Uh, probably, what, since the Euros? No. Because he was in charge. Was he in charge for the Euros? Oh, no, I was think Löw was still. Löw was, 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 that was Löw's last yeah, tournament. Yeah. And then Hansi Flick took over and there just been, there were mediocre in the, um, in the World Cup. Well, less um, than mediocre, you, you know, get, yeah. going out on the group stage is, I mean, that's national disaster. Second time in a row as well that they've gone out in the group stages of a World Cup. And because remember, they went out to South Korea in 2018, I think it was. Mm. And they, they got beaten in the, uh, by a, two, two sort of last minute goals, I think, or at least one very last minute goal. And um, there's been a malaise around that team for a while. They've not looked like a team. Certainly, they certainly didn't look in the last few few months like a team, and so I think everyone's kind of been waiting for Hansi Flick to be fired. And um, it didn't help, of course, that when Germany played last night against France, that they won two one. <laughs> so Hansi Flick leaves, and then Germany instantly becomes a better football team, and, and deservedly so. And okay, it was a friendly, yeah. but I don't know. I mean, how friendly is it when it's France and Germany? I, I you know, you have to ask that question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, England and Scotland were playing at the same time, and I was like, neither of these are friendly <laughs> <Yeah>. games. <laughs> um, I mean, I I watched that because, like, we normally record on a Tuesday night, and and we didn't, mm. and so I thought, oh well, you know, um, because I don't get to see much live football on television, so I I tuned in and watched it, and I actually thought it was a really entertaining game, and it was a game played with some competitive spirit, and um, Germany, I mean, they're not quite as, because they don't have the probably the the same number of really super skilled players that France has, but and so they're not quite as comfortable on the ball, but but my goodness, they were being very direct and really trying, particularly, there were a couple of patches you know, shortly before the the first goal, and then in the second half of of really nice play, and um, you know, you think, oh, these guys aren't, aren't too bad, and they're playing France, and okay, maybe some of France's stars were not there, but many of them were still there on the on the field on the night. So, so I thought, yeah, maybe it, it's a 
bit odd when it's basically the same bunch of players who then can really pull one out of the bag and actually play play well. It was yeah. Well, it's what you said in the in the chat, wasn't it? That, that it's it suggests that that Hansi Flick had lost lost uh, the faith of his of his players and and um, and they weren't playing for 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 him in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, the other thing I noticed was Thomas Muller was back in the team. Um, those of you who don't like football might not know Thomas Muller. We've talked about him a few times. I love <laughs> love Thomas Muller. I got a lot of time for him. He speaks like a Bavarian farmer, and he hits a ball like a fucking traction engine. Uh, he's he's great. But um, and we've talked as well about his role. This this word that's followed his entire career: the Raumdeuter, the the space understander uh, or space interpreter. And that was very much how he scored his goal. And for, after four minutes of the of this friendly, uh, he was just right place, right time, bang goal. And you're like, that's how you do it. That's how you play football. <laughs> Absolutely. And goodness, he executed it so well. I mean, he it was a pretty difficult chance, really. You might you might say he made it look look easy, but to get it down and to to unleash his leg the way he did was was really impressive. I mean, I thought the guy ten years ago looked like he was about thirty five. I mean, he he just looks so old already to me ten years ago, and now today I you know I wonder how old is he because he it hasn't really changed that much. But but I mean yeah he must be getting on. You have to look at a photo of him in his younger days to even tell if he's aged. You know it's he really he does look timeless, and for a guy who's thirty four, um, he doesn't he do, because it's that old adage, isn't it? If you don't rely on 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 speed. Um, and you just rely on skill of being in the right place at the right time. You could play football till the end of time. You know, you could you could just keep going. And uh, it seems like that's that's the direction of travel. It's also it's another good story because he was there was a big shock a few years ago where he was effectively retired uh, without a conversation being had with him. He was retired by Yogi Love. He told he wasn't along with another a couple of players he wasn't going to be selected for the german national team and he released this video where he's clearly very angry about the decision because he was like well i still want to play if i've got if i'm good enough to play then select me if not then don't but don't tell me i can't mm. and i think that's a real reasonable position so to go from that prior to sort of 2018 to or just post 2018 sorry to being back in the team being a star i, I just yeah i, I like I, I like a redemption story and one of the great things about sport is when you see someone who's maybe a bit older just still just still doing a job, you know, <laughs> gives us gives gives us older gentlemen a, a bit of <laughs> bit of faith. And the worst thing is, I've known Thomas Muller for so long. I've always just assumed he's older than me, and then looking at him, he's thirty four, and I'm like, <laughs> fucking hell, <laughs> like six years younger than me. I guess my football career is is, is over. Um, yeah. I'll never play for Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, sad sad times ahead for me. Um, yeah, so uh, and congratulations to the German men's basketball team. It's excellent work. Um, I can't say that I'm going to spend a vast amount of time um, paying attention to them out with the World Cup, but we'll see what happens in the European Championships. Eh? Maybe there's another victory in the offing. Yeah. That brings us to the end of the show. Sadly, we're no longer making ourselves available for our respective national football teams. We can't all be Thomas Muller. Yeah, England, you really missed out. 
Oh, well. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag Decades From Home, or lowercase, on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algamer, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40percentgerman.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks, and bis some next time. Tschüss! Mm.